the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Balance of Nature's fruit and veggie capsules contain 100% fine-ripened fruits and vegetables, tested pure with no pesticides, fillers, or additives of any kind, and are the most effective whole food supplements on the market today. You might ask, how can over 10 servings of 31 different fruits and vegetables fit into six vegetarian capsules? Fruits and vegetables are on an average 85% water. Balance of Nature uses cold vacuum technology to remove the water, leaving only the whole food. We don't use any heat, air, or light drying methods that damage nutrients. Our cold vacuum technology maintains 99% of the fresh fruits and vegetables' original nutritional value. Along with diet and exercise, Mother Nature provides fruits and vegetables to help us maintain good health. To order, go to balanceofnature.com or call 1-800-246-8751. That's 1-800-246-8751. Use the special promo code PODCAST. For me, it's kind of every stereotype you would associate with kind of like your standard American pro-lifer. I grew up evangelical Christian. We did the baby bottle boomerang where I tried to collect loose change to raise money for crisis pregnancy centers. In a culture as politically polarized and aggressively tribalized as ours, how do people change their minds? I'm Georgie Borman, a mother, author, and cultural commentator born and raised on the West Coast. I want to know what we can learn from people who've been on both sides of contentious issues, whether they end up on the right or the left. That's what this podcast is about. Welcome to the 180Cast. How is it not violent for the state to put a gun to my head and say, you have to carry this child to term? Welcome back to the 180 cast, where we have civil and eye-opening discussions with people who have changed their minds. Um, I really meant what I, I said in my intro. If you end up on the opposite side of me on something, I still want to hear from you. In fact, I want to hear from you maybe even a little bit more um, because that is valuable insight. And not only does it help me just connect with other people who are different from me, just human to human, but it gives me a little bit of insight into, well, maybe there are some things that, that I need to change my perspective on, or some things that I haven't considered that other people are thinking about that I'm not. So it's like I told Jeff Perlman, who may possibly be my new favorite liberal. And I feel like I can say that because Jeff's probably not going to listen to this podcast. What I told him the other day was agreeableness or like just the ability to sit down with someone and work out your differences or just like air your differences or agree to disagree. It's like a muscle. You, you use it or you lose it. So today we're going to use it. Um, if you follow my writing or even just my Twitter feed, uh, my stance on abortion is pretty clear. Um, I'm basically a straight up abolitionist and 
I spend probably way more time than I care for criticizing even other pro-lifers for for their um, philosophical inconsistency than doing the standard evangelical pro-life messaging, and that's that is it's not my favorite thing to do. <laughs> but anyway, just to give you an idea, if you don't follow my 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 writing or my Twitter or whatever, that's kind of like that is how far to the right I am on this issue. But our next guest is not on my side of the fence. Kathy Reisenwitz writes a blog called Sex and the State and also blogs passionately about land use policy. She is a columnist for the Bay City Beacon and has written for numerous publications, including Newsweek, Forbes, and The Daily Beast. Um, Kathy, thank you so much for like being brave enough to come on the podcast with me. Thank you for having me on, Georgie. I think this is a great idea for a podcast. Me too. Yeah. So I, I definitely meant what I said. This isn't me, um, you know, just pitching hard balls at you. Um, but before we jump in, I'll just briefly mention how we connected. I put out a question on Twitter after fruitlessly trying to search for people like you, asking if anybody knew of someone who went from being pro-life to being more on the pro-choice, pro-choice side of things. And I think, um, Liz Wolf, who is one of the editors at The Federalist, retweeted it, and I think that's the one that you saw, and you responded, and you're like, hey, that's me. And so Liz introduced us and said, basically, we're polar opposites, at least on social issues, and told us to, quote, go forth and make a dope podcast. So, so that's so that's what we're going to do. Uh, my standard for dopeness will be like... Is it as dope as Kyler Murray's pink suit that he wore at the NFL draft? And that's a pretty high bar. So. Yeah. Liz is a great lady, so I'll try to make it dope for her. Yes, she is a great lady. Liz, if you're listening, we will do our best. <laughs> okay. So, um, so you used to be pro-life or call yourself pro-life or something along those lines. Can you take me... Like, what is your story? What did you used to think? And what did you used to believe? And, like, why did you used to believe that? And then we can talk about why you changed your mind. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's kind of every stereotype you would associate with kind of your, like your standard American pro-lifer. I grew up evangelical. Christian, um, particularly Southern Baptist in Alabama. And, you know, we did the baby bottle boomerang where I took an empty baby, baby bottle to my high school and like tried to collect loose change to raise money for um, those uh, crisis pregnancy centers um, that help encourage women to um, not abort their babies. And yeah, I mean, I was, you know, um, I don't think I ever marched for life, uh, but I was, you know, part of that whole scene and believed that very strongly. And I was uh, against abortion being legal. And yeah, I, you know, this is obviously my, my evolution on the abortion question is part of my larger evolution kind of away from evangelical Christianity. But I would say that one thing that I would say the biggest thing that changed for me is just kind of, I started to read new things. I started to listen to different people. I think when you grow up or when I grew up in the church and kind of on the right side of the aisle on, on most things, you know, if you're reading Drudge Report and you're reading Fox News, um, 
you don't encounter a lot of nuance on the topic and you don't read about a lot of the stories that I've read in the intervening years that have really changed my perspective on the issue. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when you are young, I was, I was, you know, in high school and college at the time, I never had sex before and I wasn't really taught, like I went to a Baptist college as well. So, you know, a lot of my friends weren't having sex either. And so, to me, it was just a very clear-cut issue. Like, don't have sex before you get married. Um, and then if you get pregnant, like, carry the kid to term. And if you're going to have sex and you don't want to have a kid, take birth control. Right? Very clear-cut. And then as I got older, I started to learn about, for example, how many women can't take hormonal birth control Um I'm actually among them. Like I can't take the pill because I have a blood clotting disorder. And that's a lot of women are like that. And I read about women who, you know, it's very common in abusive relationships for men to compromise birth control. So they'll poke holes in condoms. They'll hide birth control pills. Um, they'll very strongly encourage uh, women to, you know, compromise their own birth control in order to, trap these women in these relationships. And so, you know, things are just more complicated out in the real world. And, and that's doubly so. So that's that's true for avoiding pregnancy. But then the, the, the realm of pregnancy is also very complicated. So, for example, you know, in countries with very severe restrictions on abortion, um, like in Ireland, they had reform on their abortion laws when, you know, a 30-something mother um, bled to death just totally unnecessarily because their doctors wouldn't perform a late-term abortion. That was, you know, the, the kid was definitely going to die. The mom obviously was going to die, but they just let her bleed out because of abortion laws. Um, and if you look at, like, Latin America, American countries where abortion is illegal, you know, they'll put women in prison for um, for miscarrying because it's a very difficult thing for a woman to prove that uh, she had a miscarriage as, as opposed to an abortion, especially if she's, you know, poor, unwed, or in any kind of situation of vulnerability. So it's yeah, just that's you don't hear those stories when you're in that mayu until you kind of get out of it. Well, it's interesting that you the, that you mentioned South America because I was talking to some people about that very issue this morning, and um, that's actually something that you hear pretty commonly from mainstream pro-lifers, or that I have heard from mainstream pro-lifers in. In with regard to um, having abortion be illegal, but not having any um, penalties for for mothers who choose abortion whatsoever. So that's a pretty common thing. Um, I won't totally get into that, um, but maybe maybe that is maybe that is something that we can discuss in some other time in like a post show sort of situation. I just did that with Holly Shear, who I talked to a couple weeks ago, and we did like a post show about. Um, anti-vax versus vaccine vaccines and it was really fun um so hopefully if you don't hate me by the end of this maybe that's something that we can do okay so was there anything um that stuck out to you just like looking back on your your evolution on the issue was there anything that stuck out to you that grabbed your attention was like wow i didn't think about that you know because you've You've mentioned some of these things, but were there like specific articles or people or conversations that you had that really started to get the gears turning? 
I, you know, I can't really think of any, any specific stories. Um, I mean, definitely reading about, uh, women being put in prison for miscarrying was, was shocking, but that was pretty late in my evolution. I would say that the thing that really changed for me was just, uh, it was empathy. You know, I had empathy for women who are pregnant and who didn't want to be in a way that I didn't before. Like I was able to put myself in their shoes in a way that I wasn't able to before. And philosophically for me as well, it's like a lot of people change their minds that way. Most people, in fact, on most topics, their emotions change and then they start rationalizing and gathering facts and kind of, you know, rash, you know, They'll say like, oh, I learned these facts and then I changed my mind because it was like the more evidence-based viewpoint and that's usually not true. So, you know, same for me. I, I think I just started to, to empathize and then I started to realize like, hey, you know, um, I don't believe in prohibition on, on drugs, for example. Um, I don't believe the state has the right to tell me what I can do with my body, Um you know, how is it not violent for the state to you know, put a gun to my head and say, you have to give birth, like you have to carry this child to term. Um, and, you know, I think that whether or not you consider abortion to be ending a human life should dictate your decision. So for me, for example, I do believe it's human life and I probably wouldn't get an abortion. And I, despite it being a little more difficult, take birth control very seriously for that reason. But other people don't feel that way. And so for me to say that I'm going to impose my view of what this is on you violently via the state isn't in line, in my opinion, with my libertarian principles. And so um, for me, it's a question of bodily autonomy as well. Um, but that's not what changed my mind. What changed my mind is listening to women and what they've had to go through. You know, I, it's just, it's like imagining being pregnant, not wanting to be pregnant in the state saying you have to have a doctor shove a wand up your vagina uh, and lie to you about, <laughs> you know, a medical procedure. It's just like, oh, I would hate to be in that situation. I I hate to take multiple 17-hour bus rides if I'm a low-income woman um, to, to obtain abortion services. Like, these are just things that I would, would hate to have imposed on me. And then there's just the fact that, like, okay, I think I want fewer abortions. I think most people want fewer abortions. Like, what's the best way to get there? You know, make it easy for people to access uh, effective contraception and... You know, a lot of these women are, most of the women who get abortions have already had kids. So it's not like yes. they don't, they, they would love, it's not that they don't want to have a kid. It's like, usually they can't afford to have the kid. They're in a place where that's like a realistic option for them. And then Amazon is being sued right now for firing women for being pregnant. So it's like, why don't we set up a situation in which it's feasible for women to become mothers rather than try to force them to carry to term? 
Yeah. I appreciate your, your honesty and your perspective on this as far as empathy, because that is something that I've tried to emphasize on this podcast is being able to put yourself into somebody else's shoes. And I do find that the, the people that I have on this podcast, it seems like yourself included, tend to have a much more um, level headed and empathetic perspective because they've kind of been on the other side. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's because they've changed their mind or because they're the type of person that can change their mind or change their heart on something. So I really appreciate you saying that because that I do think that that's true, how it works, where we kind of change our feelings on something and then, um, and then we go investigate and, and see if we can validate those feelings. I mean just off of the top of my head, the people I know in my personal life who have taken that approach, I'm sure including myself, if I reflect more on it, that that is definitely the way it works. Um, And I also want to say, I do empathize with pro-life people, like having been one um, and having genuinely felt that way. I think it's easy to empathize with a fetus. You know, I think it's, it's a good instinct to want to protect the innocent. I think it's a good instinct to want to protect, um, you know, what, what is more innocent than an unborn, you know, what you consider to be a child. I think that's a good thing. It's just kind of an issue of like, I also used to be against drugs being legal because I saw like drugs are ruining people's lives, but there, there's this whole other aspect of life that I wasn't seeing because it wasn't being presented to me, which is that a lot of times it's not the drugs that are ruining people hurting people's lives. It's the um, prohibition against drugs. It's the war on drugs. And so I think it's similar with abortion. It's like abortion is bad, but, you know, what are the effects of prohibition? And then how, like, why are people choosing drugs and why are people choosing abortion? And can we uh, reduce the harm that these things are causing through more cooperative means? Interesting. So have you heard of stork buses? No. So the Stork bus, or I think it's called like the Stork Express maybe, they go and they park outside abortion clinics. And of course, the abortion clinics deeply disapprove of this practice. But they actually have like an ultra, ultrasound machine on board. And they claim that something like 80% of the people who actually go in and get an ultrasound um, and hear their baby's heartbeat end up changing their mind and not actually going in to schedule an appointment or or going in to actually go through with the procedure. Um, What do you think of that kind of, that kind of tension, that kind of relationship? Should that be regulated or should they be allowed to park in front of abortion clinics and do this? Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the abortion clinic has the property that it, that is the abortion clinic. I think as long as you're not blocking access to the abortion clinic, you know, you should be able to set up whatever, situation you want. I mean, I think that if you are mean to women or you lie to women, then that's being, you know, a butthole and you shouldn't do that, but (laughs) I don't think it should be illegal. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, I think that there are a lot of women who are on the fence and that those women are probably more likely to go into the, the stork bus than women who are more dead set on their choice. And that I think, you know, more, more options, generally speaking, is better than fewer options. And that a lot of women are seeking abortion because they don't see not aborting as a viable option for them. They're worried about losing their jobs. They're worried about being kicked out of their homes. They're worried about how to feed this baby. Like they've got a lot of very practical um, and emotional concerns. And so 
Yeah. I absolutely support pro-lifers coming in and saying, I want to make this a more realistic option for you. I want to make this a less life-ending, life-ruining situation for you to carry this kid to term. And so it's, you know, it's a push-pull. Instead of saying you have to carry it to term or go to prison or, you know, do this outside of the legal framework and risk, you know, bleeding out by yourself, um, let's make make this easier for you. You know, that just seems like the most obvious thing in the world. Yeah. And it's, it does seem like that is that, that is like the conventional pro-life approach is you see a lot of these crisis pregnancy centers right next door to the abortion clinics. And, and that's what they're trying to do every day. You know, some of them are crazy, like weird people who, who scream and shout and aren't, aren't coming from a place of love or empathy at all. But some of them are like, Hey, we have resources over here. You know, do you need help? Do you need an ultrasound? Do you need diapers? Do you need help with food and things like that? Um, yeah, I generally, I I think we agree as far as like general economics that more choices is better. Um, but it's like, isn't that cause you're, you would consider yourself more of a libertarian, right? Yes. Yeah. So it's like when your when your actions start to infringe on the rights of other people, that's where the state can come in, right? Um. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, you know, murder is probably not something that you'd want <laughs> to be <laughs> legal and common. Yeah. Okay. I see where you're coming from. It's just that. You seem to okay. So you're taking more of the, like the Joe Biden esque approach in that people should be free to make up their minds on whether they believe it's a human life that's worthy of protection. Well, the thing is, uh, you restrict my freedom very little when you say you're not allowed to murder people, but you restrict my freedom a lot when you say you have to carry a baby to term. Right? I mean, those are two very different restrictions on freedom. And so even if the value on the one hand is the same, even if you think this is a human life and um, it deserves to be able to live, uh, you have to think about both sides of the equation. It's how are you restricting the liberty of the person um, on the other side of it? So we have to, we have to protect life and liberty, I think. And, I mean, to make, uh, you know, an analogy that other others have made, it's the difference between you're not allowed to go murder somebody, but if for some reason, like you have, you are in custody of someone who's in a vegetative state, right? A persistent vegetative state, and you're having to pay for their, you know, continuing life support and you're running out of money, you know, it's more akin to saying, I, you know, I can't be legally obligated to indefinitely pay for this person's life support to me that's that's a more close analogy than walking up to somebody you know and just shooting them on the street it's imposing a cost on your liberty to have to keep this this person alive um and it's even worse than that because you know this thing is in your body it's causing you to be ill it can cause you to lose your job um it can threaten your life you know, it's just, it's, it's much, much more of a restriction on your liberty and a violation of your bodily autonomy than just someone on life support. And so these are, these are, these are freedoms and rights that are intention. And so it's a question of, do you think that the blunt, violent instrument of the law is the best way to protect 
to the person on the other end of the question. If you believe it's a person, and a lot of people don't, but it, even if you believe it's a person, is the violent, forceful, me- blunt mechanism of of law the ideal way to handle that tension? And, and I've just come to believe it's not. You mentioned earlier that this evolution was kind of part of your move away from evangelical Christianity. Uh, how do how do those two things relate in your mind? Like, how does this fit into your general transition away from that? <laughs> I know that's a really like vague, vague question. <laughs> No, it's a it's a big question. It's a question yeah. a lot of people who like know me well want to understand, and it's something that I'm still trying to work through. To be completely honest with you, I think, um, you know, to be very frank, like, yeah, I think a lot of people want to know how how my evangelical Christianity um, kind of continues to inform my viewpoints. And I would say that while I do retain a certain amount of faith, that probably does influence my views in certain areas, this is probably one, like this is probably why at the end of the day, I wouldn't probably get an abortion. Um, but that belief is in tension with the things that I was taught about how to live. Um, I don't believe anymore. For example, my sister, um, came out of the closet when she was in high school as a lesbian and I had to confront the things that I had been taught about, whether her, you know, being in a relationship was, was wrong, you know? And so I had to think like, does it really make sense that God would care that God would be upset that she would have a fulfilling, loving, committed sexual relationship? Like, why is it that I can have that, but she can't just because I'm attracted to men and she's attracted to women like that? That just doesn't make any sense to me. And so I've had to step away from a lot of the things that I was taught about how to live because I couldn't justify them um, from a from a rational evidence based perspective. And so it's like you've got to have really strong faith to say, you know, but this doesn't make sense to me. This doesn't, I'm seeing how this creates some really negative impacts in the world. And I don't have a lot of, you know, evidence to suggest that it's true or helpful, but I'm going to continue to believe it. You know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't continue to do that. Um, so I think that a lot of people just kind of walk away from faith entirely at that point. But I think I've come to a more deistic view where I think that, I don't know what God thinks about homosexuality. I don't know what God thinks about abortion. Um, I know what the facts are. You know, I know that prohibition leads to more violence and that prohibition leads to poor health outcomes. And I know that, um, you know, this believing that homosexuality is wrong has caused like a lot of tension in my family that didn't really need to be there, but that's what I know. So I I have to live according to what I know. Mm Mm-hmm. Real quick, did your your church or, or your community place much emphasis on what the Bible has has to say about it and like explaining that position from scripture or was it more like everybody should just understand that I this mean, is our yes opinion? and no. So it was all very scripture based, but it was all very selectively scripture based, right? I mean the the amount of attention that we paid to 
homosexuality and sex before marriage and, um, you know, I don't even know. Those are kind of my focuses. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was theirs, too, it, versus, like, overeating is is also a sin, but we never talked about that because the church leaders were fat and, you know, it's just like, <laughs> that was inconvenient, um, for them to talk about. I think it That's was point. looking back, it was a very culture wars, you know, us against them. The, the country is, you know, declining into godlessness and we've got to hold strong. Um, and so, yeah, it was like the, you could always find a verse to back up what you said because the Bible says a lot of things. But as I got older and started looking into it more empirically, there's also a verse to say the opposite thing for most things that they teach. Like if you look at the prohibitions on homosexuality, for example, there it's barely talked about in the New Testament. And it's very clearly about not wanting to stand out. Um, just like, you know, there's a prohibition against women speaking in church. There's, you know, women should cover their heads when they're in church, right? We don't follow that today because it's clearly a directive aimed at a specific group of people at a specific time for a specific purpose. There's no reason to think that the prohibition on homosexuality, which by the way, was like operated very differently than it operates today, um, isn't the same thing, but because it's culturally convenient for the evangelical church to like make this a culture war touch point, you know, that's what we're, that's what they, that's what they did. So, yeah, I mean, it was biblically based, but it was biblically based with an agenda. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Um, it's funny that Jeff, who I mentioned is my, one of my favorite new liberals that I know now, (laughs) I was on his podcast and he asked me about, he asked me about the Bible and I said, I basically said in a nutshell, there are a lot of people who like to read Bible verses, but they don't spend nearly enough time studying Bible passages. And it's like you said, it's like things are written to specific people in a specific time and place. And that culture has to be taken into account. And like, you know, the whole of the Bible has to be taken into account. So I kind of appreciate your, your, your criticism in that respect. We would disagree on some of the conclusions, but, um, I agree with what you said about gluttony. Nobody ever talks about that in church. (laughs) Okay. Um, But, okay. Back to pro-life versus pro-choice. I I really appreciate you indulging me on that question, though. I was very curious. Um, What do you think are the worst arguments that you hear from the pro-life side? That you're just like, guys, just stop. Just stop. (sighs) That's interesting. I try not to focus on bad arguments um because i think it's boring um but (laughs) i guess i would say that it's it's what's what's like you know triggering to me as like a former evangelical i guess is just the lack of nuance just the abortion is murder abortion stops a beating heart it's like yes and you know like okay, you believe that, what then? You know, what does that cost? What does enforcing that belief cost? They're just not willing to, to to think about and to feel and to empathize with and to be informed on the ramifications of of their beliefs. And so I think that abortion is something that I like talking about because it's one of those issues where if you think it's simple, then you're simple. Like, 
If you think it's simple, you're just ignoring the, the nuances that actually exist. And that's like a very pleasant place to be. I mean, I liked being an evangelical Christian. I liked being pro-life. I liked feeling like I had the answers and that everyone else was just, you know, ignorant. Um, that's a very, that's a very pleasant way to live. And I, I understand why people stay there, but, um, it's boring as well. <laughs> you know, it's boring and uninformed and dangerous. It's a dangerous way to live ultimately. Do you think you can be a pro-lifer and, and understand all these nuances and still come out on the side of it should be illegal? Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course you can. Uh, and, and I respect that. You know, I think it's, I think it's, I personally think that it's, it's misogynistic to, to value a fetus like above grown women's lives that highly. Um, but you know what? People are allowed to value what they value and people advocate force in all kinds of situations that I don't advocate force. And if you're honest about that, then, you know, people value things differently. And my values aren't inherently better than anyone else's values. That's something that I, I believe. Um, but I, I, I respect it less when they don't acknowledge what's, what, what trade-offs they're actually making. What do you think are the worst arguments you see from the pro-choice side? Again, it comes down to a lack of nuance. You know, this is absolutely not a human life. Like, this is absolutely not a big deal. Like, this is, uh, you know, uh, this is this is fine for everyone. Um, it is very. I think the pro-lifers make too big a deal about like abortion regret and abortion upsetness. I think a lot of women have abortions and feel, I mean, the polling is actually very clear. Like most women don't regret their abortions. They're we're very glad to have access to abortion services. Um, but some women do. And for and even women who don't regret it have negative feelings about it. And so I think, you know, Hillary Clinton, I think said safe, legal, and rare. And I think a lot of uh, pro-choice people were like, you know, don't stigmatize abortion. Like, why does it have to be rare? And it's like, well, it, it probably should be rare. <laughs> you know, we should we should probably work on making it, you know, unnecessary. Um, what do you what do you make of that? What do you make of like the the whole shout shout your abortion movement? Well, I mean, I think it's I think it's right that women shouldn't feel like I think stigma is not helpful, right? It's if you want women to have fewer abortions, it's again, it's a, it's a carrot and a stick. Instead of trying to punish women, either through the force of law or through shame and stigma, um, stop with the sticks and start with the carrots. Like women don't want to be in this position. Um, and there's a difference between saying like abortion is good and I am not ashamed of having, you know, I, I ended up in the situation through whatever situation, you know, maybe I made mistakes. Maybe I didn't, maybe my birth control just failed. Um, and so why should I be ashamed of making the right choice for me at that time? I respect that. I think that's right. Um, and if, and if you want to see fewer abortions, instead of shaming women and stigmatizing women and saying, you know, you were wrong to make this choice, you know, despite having not ever often been in that situation. And 
that's another thing that I think really changed my perspective is as you get older, as I, as I get got older, I started to see where my behavior didn't line up with what I expected it to be. You know, I'd always said, if I were ever in this situation, I would do X or I would do Y. And then I would get in situations and behave totally differently than I thought I did. And I think that like something that my mom says is like there, but for the grace of God, go I, you know, I think we all to get through the day need to think of ourselves as moral and upright. And, you know, when somebody else cuts somebody cuts you off in traffic, you're like, well, they're a bad driver. But when you cut somebody off in traffic, it's like, Oh, well, I made a mistake. You know, that's rare for me. And so, um, anyway, yeah, the, the shout your abortion thing, I think is like a, it's, it's anti-stigma and anti-stigma is something that I'm pretty passionate about because I, I felt a lot of stigma growing up about, you know, various things. And, um, it was, it was kind of a difficult path for me to overcome that stigma. And I just don't think it's very, it's very healthy or helpful most of the time. If you want people to make a different choice, a, a better, more pleasant, more effective way is to make making that choice easier. So like, for example, fat shaming is empirically shown to not only not work, but actually make people more obese. Shaming people for being fat makes them stressed out and lonely and they eat more, right? So if you want people to be less fat, like subsidize, um, stop subsidizing really fattening foods, right? Like it's... Mm-hmm. It's artificially cheap to buy Oreos, and it's much more expensive to buy fresh fruits and vegetables, right? True. So work on the incentive system instead of shaming people for, you know, behaving in a way that you might behave too if you were in that situation. So what do you think, if you had to pick just one line of argument, what do you think, if you had um, somebody who believes abortion is wrong and should be illegal, just sitting across from you right now, like maybe me... (laughs) You won't be able to convince me, but let's just say I'm, uh, let's just say maybe what is the most persuasive argument that you would give in terms of, yeah, we should keep this legal. I wouldn't, I, I don't think it comes down to arguments. I would say, talk to women, read their stories, listen to them. Women who've been in this situation, listen to a woman who's needed a late-term abortion because her baby was definitely going to die. Like, listen to women who've been forced to give birth against their will. Listen to women who have to procure illegal abortions. Listen to them. And if you still feel like it's worth it, I respect that. You know, that's a choice. But I feel like a lot of pro-lifers, not because they're avoiding these stories, but just because if you stay in the right-wing, conservative, Christian, like, sphere, those stories just don't get surfaced for you. Um, So as much as you can, step outside of that kind of echo chamber and and listen to women on the other side of the issue who've lived in those circumstances and who um, have had to make those choices. That would be my advice. So there's no argument that I could possibly make because there, there was no argument that changed my mind. It was empathy. It was listening. I love that answer. I think we've made a dope podcast. What do you think? <laughs> I tried. I tried. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, you know, we're, we're on opposite sides of the fence on this, but there's definitely a lot I can take away from this that is very constructive. And I think the, the listener will agree. Um, Kathy, where can we follow 
your work? <laughs> I'm on Twitter and I post everything that I write to Twitter. So that's at Kathy Reisenwitz. That's C-A-T-H-Y-R-E-I-S-E-N-W-I-T-Z. I'm going to try to get better about also posting my stuff to my website. That's KathyReisenwitz.com. Um, if you want to you know, read up on my latest, it's uh, KathyReisenwitz.com slash blog. I'm also on Facebook. Kathy Reisenwitz, Instagram, Kathy Reisenwitz. I try to stay easy to find. Um, <laughs> so I'm also at the Bay City Beacon. Um, it's thebaycitybeacon.com. And, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, this is something that it's just a lot of passionate shouting. There's, It's so rare to have any kind of a conversation about this topic. And it was really wonderful to get the chance to just kind of work through these thoughts out loud. I, I don't get that opportunity very much. So thank you so much for having me. All right. If you want to hear the flip side, um, I interviewed Abby Johnson, the former Planned Parenthood director in our debut episode. We had a really interesting conversation about um, exploitation and women's health. And I'm sure that actually Abby and you would find some agreement in some respects. Um, you can check that out on iTunes or SoundCloud or Google Play. And remember, if you're listening and you disagree with Kathy, who is easy to find on the Internet because everything is named after her first and last name, please engage politely on social media. If you do engage, don't be a troll because nobody likes trolls. And uh, you can follow the podcast on social media at 180cast. Give us a review on iTunes if you like it. It really helps put this kind of thing in front of more people so more people can be more thoughtful about how they're forming their opinions. And send me your feedback. Let me know about potential 180 stories that we can dive into on the podcast. You can also chat with me on Twitter at Georgie underscore Borman. That's B-O-O-R-M-A-N. Or follow me. If you just want to be updated on my latest writing, I usually write about once a week for the Federalist. Um, and I opine on numerous subjects, including, but not limited to, the worst trends in swimwear. And I think the front of your swimsuit should not look exactly like the back of your swimsuit. That's just, <clears throat> it's just my opinion. Until next time, seek the truth, share your values, and listen with your heart and your mind. God bless.
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.